The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Georgia and Florida in Jacksonville, the dogs down a man. Will they be able to compensate? And how much should we really care about Michigan stealing signs? This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, October 25th. Reese Davis with you. Pete Thamel has the day off. So let's start with Michigan. And this story continues to unfold in the most bizarre and the most college football ways that you can ever imagine. Last night, it started coming out that there is evidence that tickets were purchased by Connor Stallions, not only to rival Big Ten schools games, but to games in which Michigan might face an opponent from outside the conference. Tennessee games, Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia games were the ones allegedly involved. Now the Tennessee thing, the tickets were purchased before Tennessee lost to South Carolina last year. So how this came about and how it became the theater of the absurd is that the internet, because they find everything, dug up a post from a Tennessee volunteer message board, which is where all of the great college football stories start, to be uh, quite candid, in December of 2022, in which a guy made reference to a friend of his brother's or something who was part of this and had been uh, given tickets and lodging and travel, transportation costs, all of that kind of stuff, to go to a Tennessee game against Vanderbilt. And as it turns out, that didn't matter because uh, Tennessee had basically been eliminated after losing to South Carolina. The guy already had the tickets. He had friends or family or was from Nashville or something, so he went anyway. Now, nobody knows for sure for 1,000% if this is true yet. There is a paper trail, obviously, that the great Pete Thamel and others have uh, have unearthed, uh, or a digital trail is more precise these days, I guess showing that these tickets were indeed purchased. But the fact that it was out there on a Tennessee message board, to the extent that the guy who posted this says that those participating are directed never to speak or to mention this to Jim Harbaugh. Now, there are a couple of things about that part of it. If you have some guy who's the friend of a brother who posts on VolQuest or whatever that message board is, He's not likely to be able to get to Jim Harbaugh under any circumstance, much less like, hey, Jim, I I got this videotape of Tennessee signals. Want to have a look? That's not how it's going to work if it indeed went that way. But it just shows the vast web of what has been alleged. And if it is, in fact, happening, the links that that Connor Stallions and whoever he was working with went to to try to try to get videotape of the signs. So that brings us to the next question. How much should we really care about this? Deion Sanders made a great point yesterday when asked about it, saying that football is very different from baseball, using paraphrasing Deion here, saying in baseball, if I know a curveball is coming, I've got you. In football, you can tell me a sweep is coming, and I still have to stop it because of the physical nature of the game. And I think it's a great point and a very fair one. My biggest issue with the Michigan sign stealing is this. First of all, it is explicitly in the rule book. Okay. Now I'm not, I'm not an unreasonable person. You know, rules are rules. We can't ever take circumstances into consideration. Whatever it says in black and white is what we have to do. 
But in this particular instance, there is an explicit rule against doing precisely what Michigan is alleged to have done or Michigan representatives are alleged to have done. And we always use this thing. Well, it undermines the competition. Okay, Dion's point is then well taken. You still have to stop them. My biggest problem with this is that it calls into question what Michigan is accomplishing. It makes people wonder, would they win? I'll tell you another thing that makes them think that so far up to this point, there are no allegations that anybody bought any tickets to any TCU games. Okay. So while I don't think that had anything to do with it in terms of the outcome of the game precisely, you do something like this and all of a sudden people say, see, you beat Ohio State because allegedly you had their signs. You you beat Penn State because you had their signs. Oh, but TCU, they were sneaking around the chicken coop. You didn't have their signs, and you got whipped, and you got knocked out of the playoff in an upset. I don't think that's why that happened. My point is, this is why we have to care about it, because first, it's against the rules explicitly, and while everybody is trying to find that little edge, everybody want something that will give them an advantage to help them win big games, to outsmart their opponents, because there are always football and battlefield metaphors. And, you know, you're being strategic and you're out scheming and uh, maneuvers and intelligence and all of this kind of stuff. You're looking for that edge all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that part of it. But when you go directly against an explicitly written rule, not only are you doing something that is uh, questionable morally? You're also hurting the people you're actually trying to help. You're hurting your own team because you are taking away from their greatness. And I think that this Michigan team this year is potentially great. And while I try my best, although I fail often, as Taylor and Sarah will tell you, to ignore anything that gets posted on social media and certainly don't want to air it on the podcast. I'll say this for the few Michigan people who've uh, fired things at me after what I said Saturday on college game day, saying how badly I must want them to be guilty. That's completely preposterous. And you can believe what you want. I just want the truth to come out. I think that and whatever it is, and that's what investigative journalism is. I want the truth to come out, and as it pertains to your assertion that I'm somehow anti-Michigan, and I know it's a very small percentage of you, but I must have missed all the freaking thank you notes for putting you number one in the preseason and saying that you're likely to win the national championship, and I still think that if, if this doesn't wear them down. Now, people will say, well, the players don't care about this, and they're right. They don't. But if we say that patting a team on the back after a big win and listening to how good they are can impact performance in following weeks, then why in the world would we now all of a sudden assume that they're not going to be affected in the least by the outside noise and the constant questions uh, about the signal stealing, about Harbaugh constantly having to deal with it every time he meets the media, about the latest message board poster story that comes up having an anecdote about someone working on Michigan's behalf to get signs. This potentially could have a cumulative effect and lead to some type of distraction at some point. 
This type of drip, 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 drip stuff is what can take teams off the rails or at least get them off track. And this is of Michigan's on, own doing on some level, whether it is Connor Stallions putting together this network by himself, allegedly, if that is in fact what happened, whether it reaches deeper, whether it's a more vast enterprise reaching to higher levels than the level at which uh, Connor Stallions was. That remains to be seen, but there's still that cumulative effect, the constant mention, the constant attention, the constant questioning, are your wins legitimate that can have a negative impact on a team? And that's what I don't want to see because I think this Michigan team is potentially a great one. It is a potential national champion, and to have this happen is unfortunate. But it is of their own doing on some level. Someone within their organization um, has participated in this, whether, as I said, whether it's Connor Stallions acting alone or whether uh, acting at someone's behest or whether he had this great idea. I, I do have one theory completely unsubstantiated that might make Michigan people feel better about this. I have no idea if this is how it went or not, but there are a number of possible scenarios about how this unfolded. One is that it came from the top and said, how can we steal the signs? Who's best at that? Let's send this guy, have him make it happen. That's one way this potentially could have happened. Another way is for a low-level staffer looking for a way to set himself apart. And if you are particularly good at something like this that gives the team an advantage, you will get noticed. And if you are trying to move up through the coaching ranks, both internally at Michigan and perhaps uh, develop some type of reputation or some type of uh, build some type of resume that might get the attention of someone else as you try to advance in, in your career in coaching or athletics, you might rely on a certain expertise or a certain idea that you have. Now, I'm not trying to insinuate that that's what happened and thereby absolve Michigan at the higher reaches, it might have come down from on, on high. Someone might have said, who's good at this? Uh, who, who can we have do this? How can how can we figure out a way, you know, a couple of years ago to get over the Ohio State hump? Well, maybe if we knew what they were doing, we could try that. Maybe it came that way. Or maybe it was the staffer's idea for a way to set him himself apart individually. But the primary reason we should care is because it diminishes whatever Michigan has accomplished and what it might accomplish from this point forward. And the good news for Michigan is that they have an off week, so they don't have a game to talk about, so they can spend all of their time uh, focusing on answering questions about stealing signs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Best in Game brought to you by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. We are joined now by the great Bill Connolly. Bill, I don't know, do you have anything in your <laughs> vast array of data that that somehow accounts for swiping signs? 
<laughs> I have uh, anecdotal uh, data compiled through the years that tells me that pretty much every team tries to do this in some regard, even if uh, e- even if this, uh, however, this uh, whole conspiracy came about, it was a little more detailed and and honestly a little more. Um, you know, it, it was that old uh, that that wire line. Are you taking notes about a criminal conspiracy? There was a little too much that you could piece together uh, publicly here. But um, no, I, I I've I've tried to get worked up about this, and I just can't. It'll be something. It'll be message board fodder for Ohio State and all rival fans. If Michigan actually does win it, you couldn't have won it without blah blah blah. And I'm thinking the Michigan players and Michigan fans will be like, I, I couldn't hear you. I, I was polishing the ring, so to speak. I, I agree. I agree with that, Bill. But I do think it's unfortunate that it that it does on some yeah. level diminish the accomplishment because you can have the signs. Nobody said they can have the signs. They can change them. You know, they can change the midstream. Everybody right. has that capability. So I understand the idea because I'm torn. I'll be honest about it. I'm torn between uh, really enjoying putting the Easter eggs out there and mocking it, you know, all signs pointing up for Michigan. Well, you know, you can, all the signals pointing toward a national championship or whatever, you know, just sort of having some fun with it. I got a a great uh, deal of sport out of all of the variations of Harbaugh stole my other sign signs, you know, at Ohio state. It is, it is funny. I chuckled when I read the account on the Tennessee message board last (laughs) night. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like old school college football. Stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, the 1970s when Daryl Royal was mad at Barry Switzer and Larry oh. Lacewell for allegedly spying on practice. There have been stories of spy. You you read, um, you know, Watterson's great book on the history of college football or, or um, you know, it, just about anybody else who delves way back into the beginning of the sport. And there's all types of malfeasance that went on and, you know, trying to uh, plant spies in and all of this type of stuff. And so I guess in some ways, because Harbaugh is such an old school traditionalist, <laughs> this is sort of on brand for, you know, the culture that he's created, whether he's involved or not. But I do I do find myself being bothered that historically. Uh, I, mean, I may be overstating it here. College football assistants, uh, college football boosters, supporters, periphery people historically have been really, really good at exploiting what they in their minds can at least uh, justify (laughs) or rationalize as a gray area. Well, there's no if this is what happened, there's really no gray area. here. I mean, if they did it. I'll stick by what I said Saturday. If they did it, it's cheating, period. Now, the level of cheating, uh, you know, depends on how you look at it. This notion that I've gotten from some people that the Big Ten, uh, because they perhaps with their integrity of competition angle can approach this uh, in a more expeditious fashion than the NCAA is going to, you know, hammer Michigan to the point that they won't be able to compete. Yeah, right. I mean, show show me the no. last person you know that willingly acted against their <laughs> own self-interest. Who who would do? I mean, first of all, you're punishing the wrong people because the the again, which has happened a lot also, you'd be punishing the players who, you know, JJ McCarthy's not out there stealing signs or probably doesn't even know anything about this. So 
I, I think that's kind of a ridiculous thing, sort of like you were saying earlier, that it'll be the message board fodder forever, and people <laughs> will say, yeah, but you cheated, and blah, 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 and Michigan will polish the ring. That 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 is not going to happen. You know, <laughs> They're not going to be knocked out of the playoff because of this or anything no. anything like this but i but i still am bothered by it because of the because of the blatant nature of it and because it 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 kind of goes against the sportsmanship angle there's no gamesmanship to this just pure clandestine spying you know yeah yeah i think um yeah, everybody has the code breakers where they're, you know, somebody mm-hmm. in the press box trying to figure out, okay, they called this and piecing it all together, hopefully, so they can, you know, steal a play in the third quarter, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everybody does that. This was certainly more involved. You actually did bring up my favorite cheating story um, because God bless Barry Switzer uh, saying whatever he wants now. Uh, there was uh, ESPN's Jake Trotter a few years ago wrote about uh, OU Texas and whatnot, and, and he had a story saying that. Um, this is a quote from Barry Switzer. Daryl, four years later in 76, accuses of, uh, accuses us of spying. There are semantics involved here. When I said me and my staff never spied on Texas, I was telling the truth because the spying actually happened in 72 when Chuck Fairbanks was the head coach. Um, <laughs> like Barry... Barry's a you know as as good a head coach as he was. He's still a better quote than than anything else. I haven't had this money much money in my pocket since I was out recruiting and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, no, I that it, it has been going on. Everybody's always been trying to just find that little bitty edge. This goes far beyond that, and whether it was worth the, how, it's just the the amount of organization it took, especially if it really was one guy trying to piece together. Okay, I need somebody to have tickets for this game and somebody for this one, and I need to mark it all as T-shirt sales and Venmo in case anybody checks that, and blah blah blah, like. This was a lot, and I hope they got an edge from it at some point because it, otherwise it wasn't worth the uh, just the the logistical trouble of it all. Yeah, you know, that is the one thing uh, that is the one thing, Bill, that sort of leads me to think the point that I made earlier is that it is entirely feasible that, and, and I'm I'm hesitant in trying to be careful in the way I say this because you know how how people are when they hear things they'll say well you know reese davis is trying to take the heat off of harbaugh for this and it's not that <laughs> no but i do think that human nature would tell you that if you are a low-level staffer as connor stallions has been described and you aspire to move your way up in the world of uh, college football coaching you have to find some way to set yourself apart <laughs> yeah and you know so i can see if if he was if if he was able to do this or um, enlisted a number of uh, deputies to help him put together this as a way to set himself apart, that's entirely plausible to me. I I think that's, that's sort of human nature. And I will say this, this might, if, if proven true, this might disqualify him from coaching, but uh, a couple of friends of mine have recently gone to work for these big logistics companies that I really <laughs> didn't know existed, yep. like moving, like moving, um, you know, cars worth hundreds of thousands of dollars from one continent to another one safely and all the things that are entailed and all these different things. Some logistics company like this ought to go out and hire that guy. Because yeah. you know, he was he, he got a lot of stuff done. If this is in fact true in the way it, way it happened, he seems to have uh, a certain expertise for this type of activity. <laughs> so I mean, it might not help his uh, it might not help his I guess since deleted LinkedIn page as it <laughs> pertains to trying to become a coach. But some logistics guy might go, yeah, I, hey, I, I could 
use that guy, right? You know, but oh, yeah, the one no. thing I would the one thing I would say about his uh vast array or vast network as it has been described, he needed another layer, another <laughs> layer to make it put more plausibly deniable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it it, it he seemed pretty uh at some point, he had to have acknowledged that if they ever figure this out, it's it's gonna. <laughs> I'm I'm done real quick. Uh, but you know, again, you're probably right. He was a young assistant trying to stand out and and show his uh, organization and effort levels, and he certainly he certainly did that. Um, I, I do agree with Deion <laughs> Sanders. Like, I, aside from trying to figure out a team's calls in the first quarter so you can steal a play in the third, like how many extra plays did this really earn them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say probably all that many, especially when they're just good anyway. But, um, uh, you know, because it, it does, you have to communicate to the team effectively when you see the signs in the next like four seconds, you have to get the team the information they need, unless it's the linebacker stealing the signs, I guess. But um, no, it's just, it, it was a lot of effort. And and like I said, I hope it paid off at least a couple of times because this will be an asterisk for any fans of any other Big Ten school from this point forward and whether Michigan fans care about that or not. The one thing that was brought up Saturday, and I want to move to the field with Michigan and some others after this, is the idea of going to the NFL model and communicating in helmet and just yeah. calling the plays in. And I I think it's a great idea, but because coaches always look for the gray area and coaches always look for <laughs> you know the advantage, I think the one thing that needs to be evaluated, maybe we'll see some of this when they experiment with it during bowl season, is – you know, we we've slowed the tempo of games down a little bit, even for the teams who try to go fast. It seems because of the varying um, the varying last one with the chalk in his hand. Utah had a really smart thing about oh, when yeah. SC would substitute; they would trot defensive linemen on and off at a small pace, a slow pace. Nothing at all wrong with that. That's just the no. way you go. So now I wonder if you had you know the Gus Malzons the uh, Josh Heupel's of the world, if you're communicating in helmet and you're having one-word play calls, as a lot of those types of offenses do, and you're spreading to the line and you're doing that, if you then take away the defense's real ability to communicate because by the time you get the call in, <laughs> uh, you know they're already snapping the ball. So if you then cycle back to something like that. So I think it needs to be looked at holistically. And if we do it, is there a set amount of time between you know one of the things that i always said when this was the big debate about pace of play is that it's on the officials the yep. officials almost sort of like they do it in the nfl the officials should determine the proper pace of play you would see officials in college football at the height of this i'm going to try to run 1000 plays in a game <laughs> that they would they would be almost frantic you know, trying to get into position and get the ball spotted so they wouldn't slow down the offense. And my contention was always, you should have, the officials should set a reasonable pace of play that does not necessarily slow down the offense, but doesn't aid them by putting everybody into a frenzy, both as officials, which leads to missed calls, and as a defense, which really... um you know, I hate to go back to the old saving quote. Is this what we want football to be? <laughs> I I like the I'm in a, I don't like or dislike. I don't mind the up tempo offenses, 
But I want to see offense execute against a defense. That's football to me. I don't mean a defense set and gets a good look. I just mean one that's lined up. <laughs> you know, one that's had a reasonable opportunity to line up. And I want to see the offense execute against that and not, you know, snap the ball just as the three technique is just getting out of the neutral zone and hasn't even gotten turned around yet. You know, that's what I don't <laughs> want to see. And that's what I worry about with the helmet communication. So I think it needs to be, I, I love the idea of helmet communication. I want it to be looked at holistically. Okay. How do we, how do we make sure that pace of play is such that it doesn't penalize teams that wants to go hyper fast, that want to go hyper fast, yet it also doesn't aid them unduly, you know, that it doesn't put the defense at a, at a disadvantage in an, in an unfair way. I, most of my best coach friends are defensive coaches, and I still I will tell them every single time I love points and I love yards and I love plays. So I'm all for whatever gives the offense advantages. Yeah, but don't and, you? But do you really want to see it with a defensive back still <laughs> running with his back to the line of scrimmage trying to get lined I, well, up? You don't want to see I, that. Well, I mean, I think in a lot of those cases, it probably disadvantages the offense, like they're moving a little too fast as well. But maybe, um, <laughs> but yeah, it would be interesting to see, uh, especially the Josh Heupels. There are only a few teams that can really get away with. Temp, like constant tempo now most of the defenses really have figured it out and I'm I'm always surprised that more teams aren't doing what Utah did and trotting out their biggest slowest defensive lineman every single time <laughs> the offense makes a sub because it is funny watching him just trot out there and technically it's legal and then he gets set up and there's three seconds left on the play clock it's beautiful and and I I don't mind that kind of antagonism either but um yeah, it is. It would certainly give the offense a card to play, and and I'm curious who would actually play that card well. That almost goes back to my assertion that the officials need to yeah. adjudicate the tempo of the game because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in that Utah-USC game that because of that tactic, and this is the flip side to show that I'm not all pro-defense on this, <laughs> Utah trotted out a big defensive lineman, and the official was standing over the ball because he had to give them time to do yeah. it. And SC had to burn a timeout. Yep. Yep. Because they got they got down as like three two. The you know they had no choice. I don't want to see that. I I want to be. I don't want to see that either. Um. So there needs to be there needs to be some happy medium that is fair for both sides. It lets teams that want to try to go fast go fast. Um. It gives the defense an opportunity to actually play defense, and we get football. You know that's all I'm asking. <laughs> you know that's all I'm asking. And I I will say I want the. I want the officials to be crisp. Uh, I want them to be John Wooden. Be quick. Don't hurry. In terms of, of spotting the football and getting us ready to go. Hey, how good, um, sign stealing aside, how good is Michigan? <laughs> Tremendous. They're awesome. Um like, that's the one I'm already kind of annoyed with next week's playoff uh, rankings conversations because I'm prepared for them to either not be number one, even though I think they've clearly been the number one team in the country, or, you know, to have a big, long, ain't played nobody debate. Um, and I hate saying that because they ain't, they ain't played nobody. Um, they, they're the best opponent they've faced so far is, I think, is currently 49th in my SP Plus rankings. Is um, it Rutgers or Vegas? Who's their Rutgers. best opponent? 
R- uh, let's see. Yeah, Rutgers. Uh, yeah, UNLV is still a little slow to uh, mm-hmm. to rise uh, because they've been bad for so long, basically. Yeah. But yeah, they're Rutgers is 49th. Uh, Minnesota's 59th, which is kind of surprising, actually. Uh, Nebraska's 61st. Michigan State's 69th. Like they've certainly played plenty of, of mid-level teams and a few bad ones as well. They haven't played anybody particularly good. But as I always say, it's 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 how you play, not who you play. We can make those adjustments and figure it all out. Um, and, and they're awesome. They're, they've clearly been the best team in the country. I do think where the schedule hurts them isn't necessarily like I, I trust their resume because of how easily they've dispatched these teams, especially after last weekend when mm-hmm. everybody was struggling with mediocre teams and Michigan went out against a rival with this cloud hanging over their head and put that game away immediately. Um, and then kind of embraced being the villain at the end, scoring with eight seconds left. I, I know they did, like, there was a personal foul in there, and so there was some other stuff going on. But I guess if you're going to be the villain, like, do it. be, be mm-hmm. Go all the way with it. Um, but I do think, you know, everybody struggles with mediocre teams at times, and Michigan just hasn't. They've handled their business incredibly well this year. And um, like you said, we'll see if that continues. Uh, you know, if the cloud gets bigger and bigger and, uh, you know, maybe that causes a distraction. I think where the week schedule hurts them more than anything, though, is we know they can handle Penn State. They they manhandled Penn State last season. We know they're good enough. But is there a price to pay for just not facing that level of competition for like 10 months mm-hmm. um is are, are they just are they going to be sharp enough are they going to be like maybe maybe it's all fine but i think that's where a week schedule hurts you more than anything i just i, I think it's good for you to face those challenges and they've faced no challenges whatsoever uh through eight games this season you know Full disclosure here, as as you know, preseason, I had them number one. Mm-hmm. If we were doing the playoff, I would pick them to win the national championship right now. But I have them ranked number three in the AP poll. Yep. So I'm probably one of the guys that you're talking about. But <laughs> like, here's the thing. And I've, I've made this analogy a lot on this podcast. When you're ranking teams, you have to put them one on top of the other. And I sort of think there is a tier of teams, a tier of teams, which Ohio State has just barely scratched its way into because I still have some questions about their offense, oddly enough, despite the fact that they have <laughs> yeah. they have the best, maybe the best football player in the country in Marvin Harrison Jr. But I have Michigan down there because I need to see them do something. Um, I need to see them beat a team that can at least fog an elite mirror. And you say, well, maybe Georgia, which I have number I have number one, kind of in the same boat. But you know, I, I've gone, I've defaulted back to Georgia. I've had Florida State at different times, but I can tell you this because I think Michigan is the best team. All I need to do is see them do it once. If they win the Penn State game, they're 99% certainly (laughs) going back to the top of my rankings. I just needed to see them do something. And, but, you know, I still look at, um, I dropped Washington a spot, moved to Ohio State up deservedly so. Yep. But I still think that there are four or five teams, including Washington. Well, maybe, maybe you have to get bumped for that performance Saturday night out off the one line at least. But I would still say over the course of the body of work up to this point in the season, you can make a case for four or five teams to be in that top spot. And as soon, just as soon as Michigan, you know, beat somebody that's a little bit better. Uh, I just want to see something. It was sort of like early on I said I wanted – because the question in the preseason of why don't you have Georgia number one, I said I needed to see the quarterback. When I've seen the yeah. quarterback, and I think he's I think he's 
freaking good. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I think he's really good. And so that I moved them back up to the top. But I sort of think that Michigan is the best team right now. But I want to see them uh, do it, you know, do it against somebody. And but I think we will in very short order based on based on what I saw Saturday. They're going to beat both of those teams if yeah. they play if they play their normal game. Yep. Yeah. I, I think basically what this comes down to is we all have we the debate's always best versus most deserving. And it always drives me crazy because the committee, the, whoever's representing the committee will always say we choose the best teams when they clearly choose the most deserving teams. Uh, but in the at the end, it's, it's kind of an X, Y axis kind of deal. We just have our own little how much it best matters versus how much most deserving slash resume matters. And we all have our own spot uh, you know, on, on the plot basically. And, and mine, mine skews a lot more towards best than a lot of people. I, I acknowledge that. Um, I, I will not have Florida state. If I had a vote, I would not have Florida state number one, because I just don't think they look like the number one team enough. Michigan's look like the number one team most frequently this year. Therefore I'm, I would vote Michigan number one, but no, it's, we, we all have our own, requirements so to speak and i lean more towards best than resume are, are you a, are you an art connoisseur do you, do you enjoy going to art galleries have you um i more so now that the 12 year old is into art but okay uh, yeah all right i'm not um i do i'm by no means anything close to an expert <laughs> at knowing what i'm looking at either i'm sort of you know uh good bad kind of thing on it's like an on off switch i like that i, I don't really know about that right. yeah but how i've described this is sort of what you just said i to me it's like a mosaic yeah. and you and the different people evaluating whether it's us who are opining on the evaluation or the 13 people in the committee room they're putting together a mosaic and some people uh, might like something a little more literal some people might like more of an impressionist type of thing. Uh, some some might like a Jackson Pollock method where it's just <laughs> kind of, you know, chaotic. But that I, I like the fact that people can look at it differently and then come to a consensus. That's why I still prefer, even though it's not perfect, the committee over a pure formula. And I wasn't one who hated the BCS formula the way a lot of people did. I thought that was one of those things that people sort of, it became popular and they piled on it to hate it. Now you might, someone like you who knows the math, you <laughs> might, you might quibble with the, with how the formula is yeah. constructed. And that's a different argument, but you know, I, it, it's been amusing to me because for years people would say, you got to take into account the human element. And now, <laughs> uh, now that the humans are making the decision, they're saying, oh, you, you've got to, what about the formula? What about the strength of record? What about the strength of schedule? And you know, you're not going to be satisfied. What it comes down to is the great thing about our sport, Bill, is that unless you agree with me and view my team in exactly the same way that I view my team, <laughs> well, you're biased. Yeah. You know, you're biased and don't understand what you're talking about. So, I mean, that's the beauty of the sport. That's what gives us this passion that has people uh, at Ohio State, at Penn State, and other places going nuts over over these Michigan allegations. So. It is funny because as a as somebody who leans on rankings or ratings a bunch and has you know the algorithm algorithms and whatnot, I, I get you know yelled at quite a bit. Like, watch the games, nerd. Um, <laughs> and what kind of frustrates me sometimes with the com the way the committee tends to view things on average. Again, that's it's a bunch of individuals, but the, the results themselves. Um, I always end up screaming like, watch the games, you know, who you can see who's number one here. And, and a lot of that comes down to, I'm, 
I acknowledge that I'm the weirdo in this situation. I'm the one person who really doesn't care much about head to head um, because it's just, it's one of eight games. And, you know, if we had a best of seven, then just because you lost the first one, you could have won in five and all that Mm -hmm. other stuff. Um, And so I end up, you know, the the situation a couple of years ago where Oregon beats Ohio State and then doesn't look like a playoff team once for the next two months. But mm-hmm. the committee basically insisted on putting Oregon ahead of Ohio State because of one game and not the other seven. Mm-hmm. I was I was I was screaming into the wilderness on that one. I was the only person who seemed actually uh, mad about that. So I acknowledge I'm potentially the weirdo in this group and the committee's doing it right. But uh, that uh, that is always it's it's one data point versus twelve, and and I, I get a little. Uh, you know, frustrated with that sometimes. I, I think I, I think it's a great point because I agree with you. Head to head must mean a lot, but it can't mean everything. Right. In the standings, and, it, it means a hundred percent, and I'm cool with that. But if we're ranking teams outside of standings and automatic qualification or whatever, I yeah, I, I never take it as seriously as others. It seems. Well, uh, you you'll correct me if I get the daisy chain wrong here, but. Earlier this year, as I was stacking up the Pac-12 teams, um, you know, you had this head-to-head that was very linear until the team that lost on the bottom uh, came back and, and beat the one on the top. So it was like, uh, I mean, it was like, uh, okay, Washington State beat Oregon State, who beat Utah, who beat UCLA, and you had to stack them all up just like that, head-to-head, same right. record, you know, head-to-head until UCLA beat Washington right. state. And now you got a big circle and now you do what you're talking about and take into account the whole, the whole picture. And the question becomes, shouldn't you do that in the beginning? I think the answer to that is yes, but you can do that while still assigning a great deal of weight to what happened between the two on the field. If it's coming down to those two, particularly if let's say, for instance, you think a couple of those, or maybe one of those games didn't reflect that it wasn't the best team that won. It was a team who happened to play better in the stadium that day or night won. Okay, then maybe uh, you take that game out of the equation and you say, okay, I think these two teams are equal. Well, they won head to head, so I'm going to put one on top. You know, that's how... That's how you do it, I think. What else? Yeah. Are, what else are you looking at as you as you look ahead to this weekend in terms of evaluating teams with the ugly wins that we had uh, <laughs> last week, uh, the ones that seemingly shifted in the second half or the fourth quarter for Florida State and Alabama, and then just you know the we uh, I went after Carolina pretty good on Monday, <laughs> so I guess we could yeah. let that ugly loss go unless you've got something you really want to talk about. What what jumps out? at you about the way last weekend unfolded. Yeah, I, I I have no explanation for North Carolina. I don't think I have anything new to say there. It just seems like one of those, a lot of teams struggle with mediocre uh, competition and they were the ones that just couldn't get over that hump, which probably means something. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were probably the lowest ranked of the power conference unbeatens already. And so uh, they were the least likely to come through in those circumstances. But that, the the main thing we've talked a lot this off season or not off season in season about um, how, you know, maybe the top tier isn't really separating itself. I think Michigan has at this point, but otherwise, you know, it's felt like not parody in the sense that, you know, anybody could like 2007 kind of parody by any means, but parody in that like one through 11 or 12 or as close as they've been in quite a while. Um, even if Michigan's pulling away, it's, 
it's been interesting to see this sort of parody happening, but nobody losing. Like Ohio State survives uh, its tests and Washington <laughs> survives its awful looking test uh, late on Saturday night and OU and Texas survive against everyone but each other. And um, it's, it's, I don't know what this means for the home stretch, but so many of these teams uh, have managed to get to this point where they play off worthy records so far. And um, I, this isn't that, you know, this is the point in the season where we're always like, Oh, the committee's going to have to, it's going to be five 13 and O teams. And, and they're going to not be able to No, the, we're, we're going to get plenty of answers and, and we're going to probably have a normal number of 13 and O and 12 and one teams at the end of all this. But I really don't know how this all plays out. Somebody pointed out to me, um, like right at now, the top four in SP plus are in whatever order, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, just like it was at the beginning of the year. Alabama kind of leaped up with everybody else falling a little bit. So maybe we end up kind of getting this, the hierarchy we thought we were going to get all along just after some blurriness. But um, yeah, it's just been kind of interesting. We, we Everybody's wobbled and nobody's actually fallen in terms of the, the major, major contenders. If all of those teams right now that are undefeated from the from the five conferences either wind up undefeated or all wind up with the same record and with one loss, let's say. <laughs> and I mean, I know this is a hypothetical, but just in terms of the way you stack them up, both through your formula and through your eyes, who who is most vulnerable right now? Because I'll tell you, initially, um, preseason, you would have said, well, that's easily the Pac-12. Well, as I look at the right. Pac-12 right now, I think that there are more um, – contenders for a playoff spot and a greater depth of uh, really upper middle class, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> I think there's a greater depth there in that league from my eyes. I don't have, I'm not looking at your numbers than in the other leagues and yep. the other conferences. So I don't think they are. Florida State, who I think more highly of than you do mm -hmm. right now, Resume wise, now seems to be a little more vulnerable. Of course, that could change if LSU runs out and wins the West, and certainly changes if LSU were to win the SEC. But in our scenario, that would not happen. It might happen that they win the West, but it would not happen that they win the SEC. So I'm, I think it might have moved to Florida State, but it also could move to Oklahoma, Texas, because I think that there is less. Uh, there is less upper echelon depth in the Big 12 yeah. uh, this year than in some years. Where do you stand on that? If they all had the same record, whether that's yeah. undefeated or one loss, who who's most vulnerable? Yeah, I guess maybe it's Big 12 at this point. Well, no, uh, I mean, Texas has the Alabama card there, but OU, if if we're, if, we're, if the Big 12 champion is Oklahoma at 12-1 and one and a bunch of other 12-1s, and ones, that, that could be um a dicey situation for them overall you're, you're right though this is a funny year in that the we are looking at potential scenarios at least where the the a 12 and 1 pac 12 champion or 12 and 1 in acc champion as long as it's florida state uh have better resumes pure resumes you know if we ignore quality or upside or anything like that they have better pure resumes than a 12 and 1 michigan or 12 and 1 georgia would have uh and that is incredibly unique overall um i do think you know the sec still grades out in, in my just average sp plus ratings mm -hmm. the sec grades out the best still because they only have one bad team like one outside the top 50 team and you know big 12 has or big 10 has like six and mm -hmm. the big 12 has quite a few 
But um, and, and so that's a different kind of resume. Like you, you'll have beaten a lot of good teams if you get out of the SEC with twelve and one record. But you might have only beaten one like potential contender. It, it's weird. It's a weird kind of landscape right now, and I, I like it a lot. I, I do assume that in the end there will be you know one or two thirteen and O's and three twelve and ones, and the committee's basically making one call. But um, it's it could there are a lot weirder scenarios than that on the table right now. And that that would be fun for sure. And I tend to agree with you. History would say that that's uh, the way it goes. Somebody's going to fall into that empty elevator shaft. Bill, always right. a pleasure to talk to you. Appreciate the insight. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We'll be back on Friday. Maybe even drop that thing a little bit early. You never know. Making picks with Stanford Steve. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a scintillating episode. We'll talk to you next time.